welcome back to Trennis Magnus Punches Reality, presented by Two True Freaks. I'm your host, Magnus, and I've got, well, this is going to be different, really for reasons obvious and perhaps not so obvious, but today's episode, this is going to be, well, pretty big change of pace. Uh, for starters, actually, you know what, uh, rather than speak in riddles and do all this mystery box bullshit, I'm just going to go ahead and lay it all out there. This episode is going to be recorded really in two sections, but the subject matter for today's episode, this is Ethan Van Skyver's uh, Cyber Frog Blood Honey. I decided that it's probably just about time to talk about it here on Trennis Magnus Punches Reality. And so that is what I will be doing today. But the, I guess just the, the nature of what exactly this is, what I'm gonna be doing and how I'm gonna be doing it, it kind of requires me to record this, the, this episode in what is for me a kind of an unorthodox sort of a way where I'm, I'm basically recording this section up here at the front and then I'm going to be recording another segment. Basically, what you're hearing right now, this is me. I, I haven't read Blood Honey. I don't. I, I mean, I kind of know what it's about, kind of, sort of, a little bit, somewhat. But I've never actually read it, so so it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to get into the blood and guts of it right now. When I can get into the blood and guts of it after I've read it, but. I'm not sure as I as I really want to do like two shows about this, so I thought, well, if not two shows, what about two segments? And so I had the Galaxy Brained idea of basically unboxing this thing right here, right now, and just maybe flipping through a couple pages, letting you know what I think, uh, just as a complete first impression, not even having read any of this, and then come back in a couple of days, record the second segment of of this show, and I can actually do a like an actual review for all this. So hopefully that all makes some kind of sense. So I, the way I see it, it takes a special kind of vanity to do an unboxing podcast. So I guess I have that kind of special vanity because I am going to be doing an unboxing podcast. So and whatever. I mean, it's not like I've never done anything like this before. I don't know what, what like the order in which I'm going to release all these different episodes, but suffice it to say, there is precedent for such a thing, whether or not you've heard it before. I've done it before. So anyway, so as I go along, I'm going to be creating a photographic document of all of this, just as I proceed through everything and get this thing opened. So I guess really, um, you know, there's an entire world of bullshit that relates to just getting my hands on, on this comic book. That's a comedy of errors all by itself. But uh, anyway, maybe I'll save that for the second segment. But at least for right now, you know, this does look like a pretty sturdy uh, mailer. This, I believe, is a Gemini mailer, if I'm not mistaken. And the... I don't know. Uh, this clearly is able to withstand the rigors of being shipped from New Jersey all the way to Texas with, honestly, I mean, it, 
it, it was exposed to everything along the way. So I guess you need to expect something. But like the box itself, it's got a couple of dings on it. But, you know, basically everything looks like it's, uh, it's mostly in good shape. And yes, I am going to blur out the address info, the tracking info, all that fun stuff. Uh, no sense making it easy on anybody, am I right? So anyway, so let's just make sure my phone is muted. And here is the first picture. All right, so, uh, you know what, one more, just one more for safety. You never know with these things. All right, so moving right along, uh, let's flip this thing over. It's got this huge line, this huge strip of packing tape on the back flaps. So feels like almost like I'm a surgeon, you know, and now the first incision but sometimes you have to use scissors like they're a scalpel, so I'm just sawing this thing right down the spine. Let's see. And I guess I need to get a uh, photograph of that, too. I'm like, is it really vanity at this point? I mean, you almost got to think, you know, something like this. Maybe narcissism is the better way to describe it. It'd be kind of nice if I wasn't casting a shadow right on the box, because I don't know what the detailing of all this is going to work out to be. But anyways. All right. So let's finish up the incision here. All right. And it looks like there's a protective inner flap such that, uh, you know, as you, you know, cut you basically uh you know cut the incision on the opening of the flap you're not actually risking damage to the contents of the box which is very clever uh then again though i mean ethan van skyver has been shipping these things out for so so long now i'm sure he knows all the tricks all right so let's see here Maybe I'll post these on the Trinus Magnus Punches Reality Facebook page. That way you guys can have some type of reference for what it is that I'm doing and what I'm talking about and all that fun stuff. So, let's see. It's kind of weird having to find, you know, camera angles on my phone that don't show off too much of the room I'm sitting in. You know me, I'm no quitter. All right, so let's see here. Opening up the flaps. Oh, I see. So it's it's kind of, it's almost like a cardboard sort of cocoon that this thing's in. So, yeah. boy, this will protect a, a comic book up from virtually anything. And no, by the way. Uh, for anybody who's curious, I did not get the Chromium edition. It's actually kind of a funny story. I decided that, you know what, hell with it. I just want to buy it, you know. And I looked for, you know, Chromium editions, and apparently uh, there were there just were none. Zero. You know, there were, there were none to be had. So, well, whatever. I mean, I guess I can uh, live with a, a paper version. So that's what I bought. 
and I'm not kidding. This is not an exaggeration. This isn't Magnus trying to be funny or anything. Literally the next fucking day, all right, Chromium Edition came out. Um, Van Skyver found a, a box of, uh, basically it's the same exact cover with Salamandroid uh, carrying around the carcass of what looks like a Vespa. And uh, he's got Cyberfrog standing right next to him. So my understanding is it's basically a Chromium version of what I've already got. Same cover art, same everything. Just Chromium, right? So, anyway. Needless to say, I was, uh, what technical term for that, like non-happy. Like there's a thing called happy. And I was not that thing. So, anyway. So let's see. Oh, this is actually really not... Ah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is like legit poly bag, legit backing board, and all that. And, uh, ooh, this even looks like it's the resealable type of poly bag. And guys, I just, I gotta tell you, I've never been a big fan of these resealable kinds. I've always been inclined to the belief that a poly bag. Look, maybe it's just a generational thing, okay? I don't fucking know. But it's just, you know, when I was coming up, you you close up a poly bag with scotch tape. And in fact, you know what? You don't even necessarily need to use scotch tape. You know, you can just kind of fold the uh, flap back and just put it in your long box. And honestly, its own weight is, is going to be enough to keep the flap closed. But if it's not, well... For everything else, I guess there's scotch tape. So, but these resealable bags, look, it's actually, these actually do cost more, and I recognize that they are higher quality. This is not a criticism. I'm just saying I personally like the kind of poly bag that doesn't have the resealable, whatchamacallit on there, the fucking voodoo, whatever it is that they put on there. That's just a preference on uh, of my own. You... Listeners are all welcome to make up your own mind. But you know what? Yeah, I think I'm going to just go ahead and get a... Just in case you've never seen resealable uh, poly bag before. Well, there's going to be a picture of that. And you know what? Hell with it. Yeah, I'll just go ahead and post these things on the Trinus Magnus Punches Reality Facebook group. Because why not? It's my Facebook group. Damn it. Should be able to post whatever I want. All right. So let's go ahead and get this thing opened. Figure out what we're talking about here. What did I wait so long to get my hands on here? All right. Oh, and the other thing that, uh, uh, about these resealable bags, you really have to be careful when you're taking out the comic book because you don't want to take the risk of the flap getting caught on the comic book as you take it out. And so that's just something you got to... Wow. All right. Yeah, this is all right. The, what is this? I guess it's kind of like cardstock cover, I suppose. Basically, this is not a, uh, this is not conventional uh, comic book cover stock. This, I mean, it's still got the gloss on there, don't get me wrong. But it's just, it seems like it's a thicker stock than, uh, than the average, the average comic book, so... Like do you guys, like you guys remember that? Uh, I think this was like an era when Marvel was doing this, where they were basically printing um, comics, and the cover stock was the same as the interior stock, meaning it was that really thin 
I mean, it's again, still glossy, but it's that really thin, like page type stock. And um, this is nowhere near that. This is just nice, thick. I mean, it's not quite bookshelf worthy, but it's getting there. It's, uh, it's uh, just the thickness of this comic, I don't think makes it um, quite up to bookshelf snuff or anything like that. But it's like at the same time, um, the only thing that really keeps it from being bookshelf worthy is the fact that this isn't the square binding. Uh, this is definitely stapled. And I'm actually kind of curious, like, like the binding of this, how well that's actually going to hold up. What I hear from people who seem to be in a position to know is actually, no, the, the, the uh, staples hold up quite well, but you never know until it's your turn, right? So anyway, but yeah, what I can say is this is just on a technical level. This is just so fucking cool. So just really cool, uh, nice, like I say, nice and thick cardstock type cover. This is just really good stuff. Really, I mean, this is, I guess the reason I'm being kind of a pain in the ass about this is to say that uh, somebody, obviously, this was a labor of love for somebody, Ethan Van Skyver. So he wanted to make sure that this is a, a, a quality presentation. And I would say that it is. So anyway, as to the cover, just to kind of, I think I touched on this just a minute ago, but just to make sure. This is, um, I guess this is a variant cover. It's the Salamandroid variant cover. It's got uh, Salamandroid. He's really the dominant sort of feature of the uh, of the cover. He's dragging this uh, uh, dead Vespa around. Or no, it looks, actually, you know what? It may not be dead. Well, whatever. He's fighting some Vespas. And uh, he's got uh, one. He's basically throttling one of them with his right hand. And... As that's happening, one is on his left shoulder and uh, look, looking like he's uh, going to work some mayhem. Uh, you got, like I say, Cyberfrog standing right next to him, this big, bright, fl uh, fiery background. And I forget the name of the colorist. Maybe, maybe it's Kyle Ritter. I'll double check that in just a minute. But whoever did the cover, uh, the uh, coloring, and I, again, I'm pretty sure it's Kyle Ritter, but whoever did, yeah, actually, what am I saying? It says Critter. Right here on the uh, on the front, so Kyle Ritter. Uh, Kyle Ritter definitely knew what he was up to with this cover. That the whole purpose of comic book coloring is that you need to create contrast. You know, one color contrasted against another. So you've got Salamandroid, who's blue, and then you've got Cyberfrog, who's green. And so the best contrast against any of those is some type of um some type of red or yellow or orange you know it's basically the opposite side of the color wheel and that is exactly what we see on the on the cover you've got a dominant blue semi-prominent green and then as the background fiery oranges and yellows and then this blood red sky and it's really good contrast and uh this to me is the mark of somebody who knew what he was doing? Who he he knew what the game plan was, and he knew he knew how to uh, how, how to pull it off. So um, and then the back. So that's the front cover. Back cover. It's basically just it's blank except for the all caps comics logo, which if you've uh, seen Ethan Van Skyver's uh, uh, YouTube channel, you odds are you probably know all about that. 
So you've seen it a thousand times, I would imagine. So because that's and what I mean by that is it's the same basic logo as what he uses on YouTube. So anyway, so let's see what we've got here. Okay. Oh wow! So this was signed. All right. So somehow, I this thing, I I was able to buy it. It got shipped. It made it to my door. All of this without me realizing that it was coming with Van Skyver's uh, signature. So anyway, yeah. But it's anyway. So it looks like it's basically a. Uh, you've seen it. The actual paper. Uh, like like the paper board. I don't know what it's called. There's a technical term for it, but this looks kind of like paper board that you would use for original comic art. It's got the uh, All Caps Comics logo on there. It's got the Cyberfrog logo, the Blood Honey logo. Then directly underneath that, it's got uh, Van Skyver's uh, signature. And then on the borders of all of this, it's uh, it's basically done up to look like, again, I forget what the name of it is, but like the original paper art type, the art boards, I guess. That's basically what it's done up to look like. And one of the kind of interesting things, uh, at least to me, is the fact that somebody misspelled the boss's name because it doesn't say Van Skyver. It says Van Shiver. So, I don't know. I doubt Ethan Van Skyver is listening to this, but man, if you are, uh, you may need to talk to somebody about that. So, all right, so let's get into this here. Uh, I just want to flip through a couple pages. Oh, wow. So this artboard page I was just telling you about, this, mm, it may be the same basic stock as the cover. It doesn't have the glossy on it. But otherwise, it seems like it's the same basic stock as the cover, sort of like the inner flap here. So, huh, that's, so that's kind of that's kind of interesting. All right, and to the actual pages of this thing, um, it seems again like this is just the same the same sort of uh, uh, glossy uh, comic book paper stock that you've seen about couple billion times and a couple billion different comics. It's, you know, and like, that's the thing. I mean, like I've seen all of these goofy little conspiracy theories that the, uh, you know, about the print quality of blood honey, but so far I haven't seen anything that looks like it was done, you know, half-ass cheap John sort of a way. So I don't know. All in all, this looks, it's looking good so far. So, uh, Oh geez. Oh wow. Look at this. Page fucking one, dude. I'm actually going to take a picture of this, too, because this is worth it. Wow, look at the art on this thing. I'm not going to go through this, like, page by page, just to be clear, but it's like, at, you know, at the same time, wow, there's just no, there's no way I was not going to comment on this. Wow, this is just so cool. This is so cool. See, guys, like, I don't know if I've ever actually said this on mic before or not. Uh, the fact is, though, guys, um, I can actually take or leave uh, Van Skyver's art when we're talking about things like The Flash or uh, Green Lantern or, or the X-Men or any of that stuff. 
you know, I can actually take or leave as art. Not that it's bad. It's just that, I, I don't know, whatever it is that I'm looking for in terms of art on, again, like the flash or something like that. He's just not the guy that I get that from. But everything that I've ever seen him do for Cyberfrog, uh, whether it's the title character himself or Salamandroid, Vespas, Heather, any of the characters, you know, it actually looks great. So I'm starting to wonder, you know, whether or not Van Skyver is one of those artists who he does best with his own material. Whereas, you know, his style, just by virtue of being what it is, he... Yeah, he just tends to struggle with stuff that's meant to be a little bit more mainstream. I don't actually know. What I can say for sure is that I love everything I've seen so far, though. This is, and and, and this is something else. Like just the insane amount of detail on, like, let's just flip back to page one here. Just the insane fucking amount of detail. There's some kind of planet, green planet that's in the semi foreground. The prominent element of the page is this gigantic sun. There's this asteroid belt that's uh, flying by. There's some kind of a moon in the hazy distance there. It looks like the planet's got some rings and stuff. And my point is that this is just a ridiculously detailed page. And guys, this is just page one. Get into page two, more ridiculous detail. Page three, somehow even more ridiculous detail and it's like what am i in for by the time i get to the end of this thing you know so i don't know this is just so cool you know i did that series uh, these seven men are disrupting the comic book industry uh for a long time there and i actually kind of lamented i don't remember i don't know if i ever actually said so on on mike but especially when i was going through wildcats number three or number four maybe you know, like, what happened to this spirit? You know, like the spirit that, that made the art, and specifically that issue, you know, and those types of issues, you know. What happened to that spirit? You know, just this uh, brave, borderline insane, really, um, sort of can-do attitude where it's this artist against the world, and he's he's happy to, to, to give it a shot, you know? And like, why don't we see that, that type of thing anymore? You know, like that type of just crazy go nuts detail on art. And uh, I don't know. One of the things about the glossy on this page, and this is not a criticism, it's not a praise, but it's not a criticism is that, uh, the glossy, man, this thing is just, it, glares like you just wouldn't fucking believe. I mean, this is just nuts, you know, the amount of glare on here. But it's like that's instantly offset by the fact that... Try to imagine what this would look like on newsprint. I mean, geez, that, that would just be awful, you know? So, anyway. Well, all right. So I just got to the end of part one, and I'm just loving this stuff. This is just great. I can't fucking wait to read the end of it. This just looks so cool. And so sci-fi and just so just fucking weird. I just, this just looks great. I can't wait. So, you know, honestly, I think that's actually probably going to be a pretty good um, stopping point for this thing, at least for right now. Uh, what I want to do is just go ahead and uh, spend the next couple days just sort of living with it. Actually, you know what? Actually, what I really want to do right now is first, I want to get a sip off of my cherry vanilla Coke here. So just bear with me. 
been sitting here running my mouth for looks like over 20 minutes, so I think I've earned a little bit of a drink, don't you think? And I'm going to get some vapor too, because why not? This has to be cherry vanilla Coke, by the way, because uh, you know, the fucking Karens have bought all of the orange vanilla Coke out of uh, HEB. And so now it's either regular Coke or cherry vanilla Coke, you know. That is if you want Coke that's got caffeine. If you don't care if your Coke has caffeine in it or not, well, then you got a bunch of choices. But the Karens have made sure that you can't buy orange vanilla Coke. That's for sure. So fuck you, Karens. Fuck you. So anyway, and another sip. All right. So I think that's basically going to be just about it for me in uh, this segment. So I'm just going to spend the next couple of days. I'm going to read, uh, read this issue this uh, comic book, work through it, and uh, just get a feel for the story. Then I'm going to come back in the second segment in just a few minutes, but really just a few days, but next few minutes as far as you guys are concerned. Uh, come back in the uh, second segment and just work through this, do a proper review, and see how it goes. The, you know, this is actually kind of an interesting thing for me just because of, if, you know, if you look back, the number of episodes that I've done of Trennis Magnus Punches Reality where I talk about comics, usually, like, I mean, like a pretty great majority of the comic books that I've talked about on the show, they've all been back issues, stuff that I've lived with for years and years and years and in a lot of cases, you know, and... I don't think I've reviewed very many comics that I've, that I just read, you know, very few. Yeah, you could, I mean, some, and honestly, some that I, that I had read before, but I just kind of, they just sort of fade away after a while. But this is one of the few times I can, I, I can remember reading a, a, a comic book basically for the first time and then getting right up and giving you my, my honest opinion about it. So we'll see how that goes. So, uh, but anyway, like I say, so I think that's pretty much it for me for right now. I'm going to come back in a couple of days or in a few minutes, as far as you guys are concerned. And I'm going to have a, I imagine I'm going to have a whole lot more to say about Cyberfrog, Blood Honey, but that's in a couple of minutes. I think that's pretty much it for me for right now. So bye everybody. I'll talk to you in just a few minutes. So I'm back now, and I've uh, had a couple of days now to to read this comic and internalize it, think about it, reread it, and I've got quite a lot to say about it. But honestly, before we get into that, I think maybe the real starting point for this, I mentioned in the last segment that I had some trouble getting my hands on this comic book, but I didn't really elaborate too much on that, uh, aside from that passing remark. So, just to prevent anybody from getting the wrong idea here, um, basically, 
this at the time that I record this episode the a lot of the uh, lockdown measures that we've been living under for last couple months they're starting to get lifted all right they're starting to but the worst thing you could possibly think is that things have gone back to normal I'm like number one I don't know if things ever will go back to normal but assuming that they do they're certainly not back and this is I guess the point number two they're certainly not back to normal right this moment so it gets to a point where you're willing to read just about anything to pass the time, you know, or for that matter, do just about anything to pass the time. So I bought Cyberfrog Blood Honey off of eBay, directly from Ethan Van Skyver himself. And this is something that, frankly, I, I mean, obviously I, I hadn't made a, a, a big priority out of reading this thing. Uh, before, you know, I think it came out like in 2018 or 2019 or something like that. It's been out for quite a while, is the point. I wonder, maybe it was 2019. Well, fuck it, whatever. It, it, it's been out there for quite a while. And obviously this isn't something that I've made a, a big priority of before. But, like I say, you'll do just about anything to pass the time when you're in the middle of a lockdown. So, went ahead, ordered it, and it was a little bit of a comedy of errors getting my hands on it. As best I can tell, I signed on to eBay, I bought the comic book, the very next day I was provided with a tracking number, and from there on in, it was all hell broke loose. I mean, if it, if it could go wrong, it did go wrong. Uh, there, it somehow, and again, none of this is, in case I'm not being clear, none of this is Ethan Van Skyver's fault, because, I mean, I got my tracking number, like, this is no exaggeration, literally the next day, the very next day after making my order, so, it was, my order was processed, the comic book was, uh, packaged, it was boxed up, it was dropped in the mail, and then after that, Van Skyver is really not responsible for whatever happens next, guys. And what happened next was somehow the postal service, they rerouted it. It was getting sent all over the damn place. And uh, there were uh, what looked to me to be a quite a series of really unnecessary delays uh, going on with it. And then finally, uh, there was an error message that came back with my tracking number. <clears throat> Basically saying that the the mail carrier attempted to deliver to uh, deliver the comic book, but could not gain access. Like access was somehow forbidden. And I don't want to give too much too much away about my living situation, except to say I live in a house. This is not a gated community. I can see the main road from my porch. There's really nothing that would stop the the mail from being delivered nevertheless that was the bullshit excuse and so that is where things might very well have ended except uh, Stacy my wife she she wandered down to the mailbox one day uh, this was several days after the error code came back on my tracking number several days after that she wandered down to the mailbox 
and there's this kind of a communal area where uh, wrongly sorted mail just gets dropped, you know? So somebody's power bill ends up in the wrong person's mailbox. Well, they just leave it in this little communal area and hopefully the right person's going to see it. Well, Stacy just happened to glance over at it. She saw my package sitting there and so she snapped it up and took it home. So which is it? Did they accidentally deliver the package to the wrong box? Did they attempt delivery like they claim and they just couldn't get access? I'm like, what the fuck? You know, so it was just a happy accident that that she saw it. She she brought it home. And so by this point, it had been like a week and a half or something like that since I'd ordered the uh, since I'd ordered the comic book. It should have been delivered I would imagine within three or four days or something like that, but through no fault of mine, and certainly through no fault of Ethan Van Skyver's, it really was not that simple, you know? So when I was in the last segment, when I was banging away about, you know, how weird and goofy and wonky things ended up getting with the delivery of this comic book, that's basically, that's basically what I'm saying here. So Anyway, so that's that stuff. Now, to get into uh, the summary of all of this, you know, if this was a conventional comic book, I'd give you the cover date, I'd give you the cover price and all that stuff. But none of that really applies with crowdfunded comics. You know, they they come out whenever fulfillment starts, you know. So you, you can't really go by when the the uh, Indiegogo was first announced because you don't really have anything in hand. Although that is an objective date, <clears throat> but you can't really go by the date on which this thing arrives either because different people are going to receive it on different dates. So it's like, what's the answer for this? And so I, I don't know, uh, put a pencil to it. Like maybe just arbitrary, like generally as kind of like a blanket statement, like all of 2019, it's all in how you look at it. So Anyway, but the story synopsis for Blood Honey is as follows. Part 1. In 1996, Kiel Sin, member of the race of the Phoebe, departs the planet Pierdani and rockets to Earth, recording a diary for anybody who happens to find it. She explains who she is, what her, obje what her objective was, and how she failed. Upon arriving on Earth... Rather than encountering humans, as had been expected, Kiel Sin finds only a frog and a salamander. Time is short, so Kiel Sin equips the frog with cybernetic enhancements, a radically expanded consciousness, and a mission to protect mankind from the Vespas, an alien race of wasp-like insects who are planning to, planning to invade Earth someday. Kiel Sin names the frog Trick Ron and orders him to complete his mission of protecting mankind by any means necessary, up to and including his own death, if it comes to that. Trick leaps away into the, uh, into the night, after which Kiel Sin selects a salamander and transforms him in a similar way with cybernetic enhancements and an, uh, an expanded consciousness, naming him Dudu uh, Ron Ron, Kiel Sin gives the salamander a mission which is slightly different from Trick's, whereas Trick's orders are to protect mankind by giving his life if necessary, 
to do Ron Ron's orders are to protect Trick by any means necessary, giving his own life, if necessary. As for mankind, Kael Sin says that she'll allow uh, Duran to decide for himself what mankind's actual value is. With no, with, with no Vespas around to fight, Trick operates more or less as a superhero. However, affection from the public is in short supply, as Trick is usually greeted with fear and hatred. Trick's commitment to completing his mission of protecting mankind remains, though but he has very little affection for the human race in general. Empathy, yes. Affection, no. That lasts until one fateful night when he rescues a girl from a stalker. Introducing herself as Heather Swain, she gives Trick the nickname Cyberfrog and offers him the first true friendship that he's ever experienced. Duduron is nicknamed Salamandroid. Heather loves Cyberfrog so much that she even gets a Cyberfrog tattoo on her back. Part 2. In 1998, President Clinton gives his famous speech where he admits to having an affair with Monica Lewinsky right as the Vespas arrive on Earth and begin their invasion. <clears throat> Elsewhere, Cyberfrog and Salamandroid are duking it out with Rumblebee and his clone goons known as the Pollen Eight. As that's going on, Kielsen makes first contact with the invading Vespas, she attempts to rescue a woman from a swarm of the alien wasps. The wasp, the wasps turn, I'm just going to call them bugs. The bugs turn on her as a separate swarm, kill the woman. At that exact moment, Cyberfrog is pounding the shit out of Rumblebee while Salamandroid is single-handedly taking the pollinate clones apart, one by one. Before they can complete the task, however, a Vispa's warship appears overhead, signaling the start of the invasion. Cyberfrog tries to make contact with Kiel Sin, but she's unresponsive. So Cyberfrog and Salamandroid beat the piss out of every Vespus drone that comes their way, but there are simply too many of them. Salamandroid gets swarmed by Vespas and falls out of sight, while Cyberfrog tries holding his ground against the invading aliens, but eventually he, too, falls off the bridge and into the bay, where he accidentally slides into hibernation mode and drifts away, into the dark. Part 3. Cyberfrog wakes up at the bottom of the bay and swims to the surface. There he sees that the war is basically over, and the Vespas have won. Remembering that Heather still has the tracking bead that Cyberfrog implanted in her back in 1998, Cyberfrog hauls ass to New Jersey. In New Jersey, a young girl named Lily is reminded of the rules, is reminded by her mother of the rules. Stay in the woods. They can't fly very well with everything so close together. Stay in the smoke. Keep the fires burning. Fire hurts them. Use it. Never panic. Don't run from them. They can smell your breathing when you're scared. And they like it. Always wear red. They can't see people when they wear red. They're invisible to them. Lily... Uh, Lily departs from her home to go looking for Cyberfrog, as she does all the time every day. In the woods, she meets Cyberfrog for a change. She recognizes him from her mother's tattoo. Confused, Cyberfrog is taken by Lily back to her house, and there he's introduced to her mother. And it's there that Cyberfrog and Heather Swain 
are reunited. To be continued. So, what did I think? Well, the the thing is, the, and by the way, guys, this is this is not a criticism. But I don't think it's inaccurate to say that. How shall I? How shall I? Um, the majority of this comic book is really exposition. I mean, there's a lot of setup that needs to get done. There's a lot of character uh, characters that need to be established. Really, four characters when you think about it: Kiel Sin, Cyberfrog, Salamandroid, and Heather Swain. Um, those those characters have got to get established at the same time that the context for all this has to get set up vis-a-vis the alien invasion that Kielsen uh, knows about, she's aware of, and she's trying to protect uh, the Earth from. And so as a result, yeah, you get a little bit of action in this uh, in this issue, but basically everything that happens in this issue from the first page of the story to the last page of the story, it really is exposition. It's basically designed to uh, set up the the uh, the like I say the characters uh, do some universe building establish the main conflicts the main threats etc and on that basis it does those things I think really really well now one of the things I honestly don't know that I've ever come right out and said as I've uh, done all these different episodes about various and sundry comics but I went digital like not fully digital, but like 99% digital with my comics um, a pretty long time ago. You know, it's at this point, that's something that happened uh, a a long time ago. And so as a result, you know, during the lifetime of Trennis Magnus Punches Reality, you, you guys need to understand that it's been very rare, very rare, that I've ever had a physical comic book in my hand at the time that I record these episodes. It's, I can only think of maybe two or three times out of however, like 300 some odd episodes that I've released, maybe two or three times that I've ever had a physical book of any kind in hand. But the thing about a lot of these crowdfunded comics is they are not released digitally. They are, you get paper or you get nothing. And so as a result, for once, I've actually got a, a a physical book in my hand, but that actually kind of poses a little bit of a logistical challenge for me as I record all this, because this is something I'm, I'm just not used to. And I usually recline in my seat, uh, recline here in my chair as I, as I do my recording. And so... I'm not really sure how this is all going to work with a physical book in hand, but I guess it's something I better start getting used to. So anyway, to get into this actual issue, though, I'm going to open the uh, resealable bag here. All right, let's see. Sliding the comic back out. Strange to think, I used to do this all the time. Before the digital days. All right. So getting into uh, part one here, 
I sort of gushed a little bit about some of the art. I didn't go beyond part one in uh, the last segment when I just glanced at some of the pages and uh, kind of oohed and awed over, uh, over the art. But I do need to emphasize the fact that this is some exquisite art. One of the criticisms that I've had about comic book art low the past, we'll say, 10 years is that there came a point when comic book artists, they just, it's like the quality just sort of changed. The artists changed. And one of the things, one of the undeniable trends that's happened since, well, I mean, let's just say it, since uh, the founding of Image, is that most comic book companies are really hesitant um, to heavily hype up and promote certain artists. Um, ever since the the image founders uh, exited Marvel, uh, really, especially the big two, have done as much as they can to hype up characters or hype up writers. Basically, they don't... What I think the issue is, they are so, or they were so fucking scared of another image type thing happening that they really stopped promoting artists to the same degree that they once did. I remember when I was younger, the it, it was a common hype uh, point that such and such comic was, was uh, drawn by so-and-so or this other comic book was driven by some other so-and-so, you know? And it's like, that doesn't really happen anymore. You don't really have rock star artists anymore. You got rock star writers, perhaps, but you don't really have rock star... Actually, you don't even have rock star writers anymore. You've just got a bunch of activists LARPing as writers. But but at least at one point, there were... There was at least an attempt at a rock star writer, or at least creating the, the concept of a rock star writer. And... I mean, frankly, there are limits to what you can really do with that, you know, whereas art, I mean, that can change so much. You know, there's so much variety with with art that. I don't know, it's just easier, I think, to to have a uh, some kind of an identity as an artist, as opposed to a writer when you're creating comics. So anyway, and my purpose in saying all of that is in the past Again, you could argue since the mid-90s, but definitely in the last 10 years, art, it looks increasingly like very coloring booky type stuff. And that's when you're lucky. You know, it might look kind of like a coloring book. And that is not the agenda. This is my point. That is not the artistic agenda behind Cyberfrog Blood Honey. This was written by somebody whose forte... All due respect to Ethan Van Skyver, this is not meant to be passive-aggressive or throwing shade or anything, but I think his primary talent really is as an artist. I'm not saying he can't write. I think he can. I think he's actually pretty good as a writer. But whenever you say his name, what I think of is his art. And so this is definitely meant to be a comic book that's just filled to overflowing with uh, just badass, super cool art. And like really heavily detailed uh, art. This is meant, this, like, like I think I said in the last segment, this was clearly a labor of love for Van Skyver. And that comes through on every 
single page. And I especially like page one. It's basically Kiel sends, um, this is uh, her ship. Uh, and I imagine what, what this thing is doing is it's actually leaving the uh, the uh, planet uh, Pyrdani. That I, I think that's what it, what's going on. And it's not super clear, but it's like it looks like there are two moons. There are rings circling the planet. There's a passing asteroid belt. And it, what I took from this is that we're not supposed to assume that this planet is Earth. It's actually something else. Now, as we get into the story here, one of the criticisms that I've got is that it's a little bit difficult to distinguish Kiel Sin's, um, her, I can't call this an inner monologue, but basically her audio diary. It's difficult to distinguish that from her dialogue. And because her audio diary, this is spoken out loud in whatever her recording device is, so it needs to have quotation marks around it, but her dialogue to Cyberfrog and Salamandroid also has quotation marks around it. So what the fuck? How do you know which one is which? And uh, this is honestly something that could have been solved with perhaps different lettering for the the audio diary as compared to her to her dialogue. But I must say, again, this is not a, a swipe in anybody. The letters are by somebody or something called Somni. And you need to understand, this is not conventional comic book lettering, for the most part. Uh, Kielsen, Cyberfrog, and Salamandroid, they all have sort of unique and kind of uh, cool-looking uh, dialogue balloons and internal monologues and all that fun stuff. And so as a result, this, is, this isn't, like I say, just kind of boring Comic Sans-type lettering. There's a philosophy and idea behind a lot of the the uh, lettering in this comic. So, anyways, um, so anyway, so that's page one. Getting into pages two and three, again, this is just some some gorgeous art and some gorgeous colors. I've seen some of the li the uncolored line art uh, for for Blood Honey, and we need to emphasize that Kyle Ritter. He really is a key creative contributor to this. There is a depth and artistic effect that is being brought to bear in the coloring that simply does not exist with the, the black and white line art. So this is uh, incredibly well done. I mean, art that already looked amazing to begin with is basically given two or three or four extra dimensions with with the uh, coloring job here and it really elevates the art and the reason i uh, i, I kind of want to emphasize that is that if you've ever seen um rough pencils uh by kurt swan or you could even say jack kirby i mean i'm not a big jack kirby guy but even i can recognize that uh, there's a lot of power in in his pencils and if you've ever seen uh reproductions of his pencils it's it seems almost reductive to say that his art is in some way or another uh, harmed, perhaps, by coloring. But it's like at the same time, you can't really deny that there's a power and energy that a lot of artists have when they they put down the line work and maybe 
you lose track of that a little bit once the colorist uh, gets involved. And that's not really the case here. Um, I don't know if this was something that Van Skyver was aware of, that this was what Kyle Ritter was going to do whenever, whenever he was uh, uh, doing the art for this book, or if, or, or, or what? I mean, I just don't know what the deal is. But if you look at one of them, probably I think one of the most famous things that Van Skyver has ever done is Green Lantern Rebirth. And you look at, you compare the art in that book, which again is fine. I don't have a problem with it. But you you compare that art to what we see here, and this is just an entirely different order of magnitude. As good as Green Lantern Rebirth might have been, this is just that much better. And a good example of what I'm talking about, this is actually right here on page three, at the very bottom. The you've basically got Kiel Sin's uh, ship. It basically crash landed in the swamp and then it rises up out of the swamp and you can just see, uh, see all the detailing on the ship, um, all of the water, the swamp water that's just dripping off of uh, the, the uh, ship. And this is just so ridiculously um, detailed and the color is just so powerful and so expressive and it, This is just, it's a level of art and energy and detail that, I mean, at this point, it's actually starting to become kind of foreign to, to, to comics. I mean, you think about like what pre-COVID comics uh, were like, you know, and you just would not get this kind of, uh, you know, these kind of crazy camera angles and just this extreme detail and sort of coloring as art in itself. You just, you didn't get that before. And there's plenty more of that to come, more than you can shake a stick at. Now, one of the things that isn't made super clear here, Kielsen's uh, diary says, so many variables unaccounted for. My unborn passenger was descending, ready for delivery, but this place was desolate, uninhabited by human life. Only simple creatures chirped and slithered about. No signs of the tribe of uniformed, idealistic young male adventurers our planners had expected to meet. Where were these Boy Scouts? Instead, just a frog. And it kind of raises the question, or maybe not even a question, maybe it just raises the point that what Kiel Sin was, was originally anticipating was meeting... Like, how literally are we supposed to take this? Was she expecting to meet a, a troop of Boy Scouts so that one of them could become Cyber Boy Scout and instead we got Cyber Frog? But was it supposed to be Cyber Boy Scout? Or was she expecting to meet perhaps the United States military? Like, what exactly was the agenda here? Because, I mean, I, I'm having a hard time taking this too literally, you know, like, where were these, quote, Boy Scouts, unquote, you know? Um, I'm not sure, like, how seriously we're supposed to take that. So, I mean, I don't really know. And honestly, it's not worth, it's not worth losing any sleep over. The book is called Cyber Frog, so, you know, just, just go with it. But, I mean, it, nevertheless, the part of me that cares about continuity and universe building and all that fun stuff, it does kind of make me wonder, like, what was the original plan here? 
So anyways, now moving right along, this is, uh, again, this is also on uh, page four. Uh, Kielsen's, uh, actually, this isn't Kielsen's ship, is it? I guess this is Kielsen. It's actually a really good question. Well, and actually, and that's actually something else. I'm not completely sure if the race of the Phoebe are robotic themselves or what. And But I do kind of like the idea that if they are, then you could see Cyberfrog as sort of the joining together of the planet uh, Pyrdani and the planet Earth. You know, a frog from Earth with um, Pyrani's or, or Pyrdani's uh, uh, cybernetic technology. Cyberfrog is the joining together of of these two worlds, and I just really like the idea of that. But in any case, again, this is on page four. Um, I guess this is Kiel Sin releases this kind of uh, sort of energy bubble looking thing, and it envelops the frog. And then on page five, again, this is just some amazing, badass fucking art that we're seeing here. Um, that I swear to think, it maybe it was on some YouTube video, or maybe it was just someplace else. I don't really know. But I, I swear to think that I've seen the uncolored line art for, for page five here. And it doesn't look this cool. Now, it looks fine. Don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with it. But if you just look at it, it's it's uncolored, it's line art, and it's just kind of there. It's flat. Here, with Kyle Ritter's colors, you have all of these bright colors. You see this energy wave surrounding the frog's uh, skeleton, and you see all these little uh, details. And then in the background, there are these colored dots, that, red and green dots that are flying around. And I mentioned this in, in, in um, the last segment when I was banging away about the cover, the... The name of the game with comic book coloring is creating contrast because what we're really talking about is really just lines on a page. And if you want to create the illusion of depth and shading, shadow, light, and all those other things, you need to you need to contrast one color against another. So you've got this blue frog or this blue frog skeleton in the foreground around here on page five this blue frog skeleton, and then you have these colored dots that are zooming all around in the background. The colored dots are red and green, which contrast really well against the blue of the frog's skeleton. And then near the frog's um, legs, the lower part of his legs, there's this uh, kind of purpley sphere of light. Um, it's alternately white in some, in some places and purple in other places. And it really does a great job of contrasting all of these different elements against everything else so that you don't get this just kind of blob of color on the page. Everything is a distinct visual element unto itself. And it's a, it's just amazingly well fucking done art. And again, I can't help but compare this to the basic spirit that went into image comics, which endeavored to tell a good story, don't get me wrong, but they were very visual comics. It was uh, uppermost in all of the image co-founders' minds that all of these are uh, all of these comic books have amazingly fucking cool art, and they just look great. 
you know, and that's not to say they didn't care about writing because I think they did. And I think the entire point of doing that, these seven men are disrupting the, the comic book uh, industry series was to emphasize that these comics are actually better written than you may remember. Nevertheless, though, they were not specifically intended to be well-written. They were intended to be really good-looking. Whereas these crowdfunded comics, they're intended to be both. You know, they want to have a good story with cool characters and all that stuff, but they also want to really play up the importance of the art. Because, guys, this is supposed to be a visual medium. People tend to forget that. So anyway, and I just fucking love page five. This is, you know, there are very few pieces of comic book art for which I would want to, uh, I'd want to own the, the original or even for that matter, like an oversized reproduction, but I would actually be kind of interested in some type of colored oversized reproduction of uh, page five. This just looks so fucking cool and I love it. So anyway, this is page six now and we get our first real look at Cyberfrog, and he's basically learning how to talk here on uh, page six and seven. And I'm trying to mentally come up with a voice for Cyberfrog because, you know, he is from New Jersey. And so right there, that kind of gives him a little bit of character. Um, uh, Kiel Sin uh, says to him, she says, Trick Ron, I require your strict attention. Uh, Listen up, you. And his his response is, Okay, I'm listening. And then from there, let's see. He doesn't have a ton of dialogue here. Uh, but just kind of skipping ahead a few pages, he says, An invading, conquering swarm. What's all that about? You know, he doesn't actually say that, but I'm just trying to give you the flavor of what he's saying here. And I really suck at doing that kind of accent, but unfortunately, that's that's what you're stuck with, guys. Sorry about that. But really, the purpose of these pages is to establish what Cyberfrog is, or at least what he's become, what his consciousness is like, the uh, weapons and the technology that he has access to, the ins and outs of his mission, and basically setting up the fact that he's here really to protect mankind. And then from there, we get into uh, goings-on with uh, Salem Android, who undergoes a similar transformation. And it's, it's, or at least I get, actually, you know what? It's not specifically clear that he undergoes the same transformation. I mean, I think we can maybe infer that. But whatever. I mean, it's it's really here that he's that he's given his his marching orders. Um, uh, Akiel Sin says, "Your name is uh, Dudu Ron Ron. Your size is not accidental. You are made with purpose by the planners of the world of your origin. You are appointed as the protector of your brother Trick Ron. Watch over him, for his mission here on Earth is vital." If he fails, there will be no tomorrow. We will not share a cyberlink. I cannot offer you the advantages enjoyed by your sibling. You must endure and thrive without them. You will encounter the human population on this planet. Their value as individuals will be left for you to determine as you serve your primary function. 
Protect your brother. Clear his path. Help him to succeed, even at the cost of your own life. Is this understood? And his answer to that is, uh, well, he before she even starts on this tirade, he says, you are my mother. She goes into the tirade, gives him his instructions, and his, and then she asks, is this understood? And he again asks, you are my mother? And she says, yes. He says, I love you. She answers, Deduron, there is my heart, and there is you. I know of no difference between them. Do well. Be worthy of your purpose. And always know that I love you too. And I kind of like this because, number one, if you're going to have a story that has two such similar characters in them, there needs to be something that sets them apart from one another. And so in this case, we're getting it, all right? Cyberfrog's mission is to save the world. Salamandroid's mission is to save Cyberfrog, to protect him. So they, Cyberfrog has a, uh, his expanded consciousness with it. It's implied that there is empathy. You know, he has, uh, he has uh, determination. He has compassion. You know, he knows what his mission is and he's here to protect the world as best he can. Salamandroid does not necessarily have that same level of empathy, at least not programmed into him. He's going to be he's going to be his own person. He's going to be shaped by his own experiences. He's not necessarily as blindly loyal to mankind as Cyberfrog is. So as a as a result, there's a huge potential. We don't really get any of it in this issue, you understand, but there is a huge potential um for disagreement for conflict and for all that stuff between Cyberfrog and Salamandroid when what happens if their agendas start to conflict with each other or their worldviews start to conflict with each other you know before the Vespas arrive that's not going to really be much of a problem but in the issues to come how are things going to play out with that and you know it's it's worth asking about and so anyway I've already lost track of the page numbers, so page next. It basically consists of three long, skinny, sort of vertical panels that you get the idea that this is taking place over a, a series of just a couple of years. Cyberfrog in 1996, 97, and 98, perhaps. But time, it, it's basically meant to show the progression of time. Uh, Cyberfrog in the far left panel starts off you know, sort of wide-eyed and innocent. In the middle panel, he's not quite as wide-eyed anymore, and he's starting to grumble a little bit, you can tell. And then in the far right panel, his eyes are, are even narrower, and now he's just, you can tell he's just kind of gritting his teeth. The reception that he's received from mankind, actually, we can just go through it. Um, the uh, captioning says, from the depths of that swamp, I watched Trick Con or Trick Ron change. He entered into a service with such optimism, but I had failed to prepare him properly. I had taught him 
to feel sympathy and compassion for the human race without warning him that they'd have little to none for him in return. No matter what he did, no matter how many lives he saved, humans would treat him with scorn, fear, and hatred. He was not like them. He did not look like one of their Boy Scouts. He did not look like the hero that our planners had hoped for. Over time, their ungratefulness and their harsh words wore him down. I had given him armor to his body, but not his heart. Trick Ron remained committed to his purpose, but he knew that he would never love any of these people. Until one dark night. And that's where we, we meet Heather. And this is really the first <clears throat> the first rescue or, or semi-superhero thing that we see uh, Cyberfrog do in this in this issue. And honestly, this actually raises certain questions that don't really get answered here. Basically, Heather is, she gets accosted <clears throat> by this uh, kind of uh, mopey looking uh, goth kid. He's wearing some kind of talisman or something around his chest. His eyes are glowing red. And at the moment that Cyberfrog swings to his rescue, it's like he's grown dragonfly wings out of his back. And it doesn't really get explained in this issue who he is, how he came about uh, getting uh, that kind of a mutation. And it kind of makes me wonder if this was something that perhaps the, the Cyberfrog comic books that were made prior to Blood Honey, you know, back in the 90s from... Hall of Heroes, and then later from Harris Comics, you know, is was that world building type stuff that that occurred in, in in those comics? And honestly, it's I don't really know the answer to that. It's not really made clear here. And so anyway, but it is it is something I'm I'm sort of curious about. And um, I guess I could Google that, but I, I don't really know. So anyway, so moving right along, uh, Cyberfrog makes friends with Heather Swain. And they, you can see that this is, they're building up a real friendship with each other. I mean, Heather, Heather even visits Cyberfrog and Salamandroid in the abandoned house that they're kind of squatting in. And they, she, she brings them food. And it's kind of strange to think of a frog eating fried chicken, but anyway, <laughs> nevertheless, um, so, you know, they, they are in, in, in as much as they're both outcasts, they are perfect companions for, for one another. So she shows them, and this is actually kind of a fun little moment. She shows them the uh, cyber frog tattoo that she's, she's got on her, got on her back uh, he says, mm, what's that? And she answers, it's supposed to be you. I drew it for the tattoo guy. Does it look okay? Why am I grinning like that? And it's just, it, it really says a lot that there are things about Earth culture that Cyberfrog still doesn't understand. But Heather cares enough about Cyberfrog. She, she likes him enough that she wants to get a cyberfrog uh, tattoo on her back 
and it just it really it really goes a long way towards uh establishing their friendship and all that and i don't know i just i just really dig that so anyway getting into part two again amazingly ridiculously phenomenally detailed art here um the whatever page this is right after the beginning of uh, part two it's uh, again it consists of three uh, panels uh, horizontal ones it's this kind of camera pushing in on uh, planet earth it's basically a pov shot of the uh, vespas uh, warships as they uh, get closer to earth and then enter earth's atmosphere and basically this is the beginning of the invasion and Again, I'm not trying to beat this to death, but I mean, it's important that you understand that the there's a very careful philosophy that seems to be going on with the coloring in this comic where colors always contrast one another. So you've got these um, brown, bright yellow, and sort of golden colored uh, uh, alien warships that are drifting around through space. And so the... the uh, the background colors uh, to contrast them are uh, blues and blacks and sort of off whites and things like that. And it really, it helps create this sort of three dimensional image, a three dimensional quality to the art that guys, it doesn't exist. If you, if you can just imagine what this would look like as uncolored black and white line art, it would almost be kind of hard to figure out like what's what, but the coloring it's done so carefully that it's easy to distinguish the alien warships from the uh, detailing of the earth with, uh, you know, the, the ocean waters and the clouds and earth's atmosphere and all these other things, the stars in the background. This is just amazingly well done there. It's impossible to overemphasize. I think, uh, Kyle Ritter's artistic contribution uh, to this issue. So anyway, so moving right along, skipping ahead a couple pages here, we've got Cyberfrog and Heather. They're just kind of hanging out in Cyberfrog's house. She's brought him dinner as she's watching Bill Clinton give his uh, famous speech where he talks about um, his, let's face it, his affair that, uh, that he had. And this really, I think goes a long way towards setting up like the time in which this, this all happened. I mean, the, there is a panel that even says in big giant block letters, 1998, but just to kind of help readers put their minds back into what was happening specifically on the night that this invasion, uh, invasion began, we see President Clinton basically acknowledging, you know, some of the things that went on. And I don't know, it just kind of gives the story a certain uh, verisimilitude that I just, I, I just kind of like. So anyway, um, anyway, so uh, Salamandroid basically breaks through uh, part of the wall in Cyberfrog's house, basically to say, that, you know, they got to get out of there. It's time to intercept Rumblebee and his clone goons, the Pollen Ape. And I kind of like that. Uh, but I especially like Cyberfrog coming back with him. That's almost interesting, Sal. But you just put a huge hole in my wall. Bugs are going to get in. And I don't know. I just, 
I just kind of like this. And I like Cyberfrog's attitude and the dialogue balloons, the lettering. This is just, everything about this is just so cool. This is just such, this is just such great art. This is just so fucking cool. I love this. This is great. So anyway, um, and this is really about as close to a save the cat as we get with um, Cyberfrog and Salamandroid as they're duking it out with uh, Rumblebee and the Pollinate. Um, we don't really get a chance to see too much of their day-to-day -day lives before the onset of the invasion. And by the way, speaking of the invasion, it this is just horrible. Like the stuff that happens to these people hanging out in, it looks like they're in a clearing somewhere next to a forest. And it even gets set up early on, like when the woman drops her cigarette and that basically starts a, a fire. The Vespa's drone that it, that was kind of moving in on her, it's briefly repelled by the uh, fire. And then from there, Kiel Sin swings into action. And it's kind of hard to know exactly what it is that ends up happening with Kiel Sin. The woman makes a run for it. She gets uh, basically overwhelmed by a... Uh, by a swarm and i mean geez what a way to die um kiel sin even kind of narrow uh narrates it she says uh, let me just actually take it from the top here uh she it says the vespas see the vespas will see them meaning uh humans the vespas will see them as livestock a food source their drained and empty bodies will be recycled for nesting material Blood is their nectar that becomes their honey. Or rather, blood is the, is the nectar that becomes their honey. The Vespas will obliterate all life and destroy all of creation. They will perch upon the ashes of billions of broken hearts and dead dreams. They will revel in the misery while they lay more eggs. And one of the things you kind of have to be aware of as you read this is that certain events are sort of happening simultaneously. The very instant that uh, Kiel Sin goes on goes on the attack against uh, the Vespa's drones is the very moment that uh, Cyberfrog tries to make right after uh, Cyberfrog and Salamandroid beat the piss out of Rumblebee and his goons. That's the very moment that uh, they try making contact with uh, uh, Kiel Sin and can't they they're not able to speak to her. Uh, because she's at that very moment getting brought down by the drones. And so, let's see. Yeah, and Cyberfrog even says, as uh, as the swarm is just flying all over the place, you got these killer uh, bugs that are just flying around and uh, wrecking shop on everything, attacking everything. Uh, Cyberfrog says, stay frosty, Sal. Right here, right now, this is our entire reason for existing. This is why we're here, bro. Even without Kelsen, we need to stand and fight this. And it says a lot that Salamandroid and Cyberfrog are having just such different experiences uh, with all of this. I mean, basically, and in fact, the uh, the. Uh, the swarm makes a point of taking Salamandroid out first. And because, you know, he is the bigger of the two. He is, in theory, uh, the bigger threat to them. They save Cyberfrog for last. 
And we don't really know what happens with uh, Salam Android. I'm guessing that Salam Android death, uh, death sting uh, one shot is going to tell the story of what happens with him. So, but we don't really get to see too much of what happens here. Cyberfrog actually makes a pretty valiant effort of of standing by a of standing alone against the swarm. He says, "I can't see him. They swarmed, took him out first. They're smart." They must have taken out Kiel Sin, too. Took her out the same way. Take away my weapons, my resources. Isolate me. Remove all resistance. Every... Oh, Heather. She's by herself. Alone. How can there be so many? And so it just goes on from there. And I don't know. This is... Again, I mean, there's just so much art. You see uh, Cyberfrog. He's pounding these... Um, uh, uh, Vespa's drones into uh, just just pounding them to uh, to, to pieces. He's taking them uh, apart, and he really is kicking ass. And the thing is, this he's basically thwarted. It's not even really his fault. There's basically a it's a gigantic uh, uh, car crash that happens, throws Cyberfrog uh, into the bay. And that's when hibernation mode kicks in. And it's really not his fault that he wasn't able to put up a better fight. And so, speaking of which, going into page three, I'm actually nearing the end of the uh, issue here. Um, hibernation mode ends. He resurfaces. And again, this is just some gorgeous art. Just look at this stuff. Wow. Yeah, you can see him. He's underwater. He's uh, making his way towards the surface. He breaks the surface, and then we and then we get this two-page uh, splash. It's uh, an over-the-shoulder uh, shot of a cyber frog looking out at what's left of. I think this is supposed to be Pennsylvania that he's looking at, and it's just covered in. Uh, it looks like wax and um, uh, honey, and it looks like. Uh, Maybe some alien tech from the Vespas and all that. This is, God, this is just so cool. I mean, if like you had any doubts about who won the war, <laughs> well, this should pretty much clear it up for you right there. Um, this is uh, Vespas territory now, bub. So anyway, and then flipping ahead, this is like the um, Apocalypse Now moment of this issue where Cyberfrog's eyes are just above uh, the water. He goes back underwater. He's... Uh, basically wanting to get a, a, a literally a jump start he leaps out of the water and i think he's croaking like that's what he's trying to do here in this uh, fourth panel his legs are kind of spread apart he's sort of hunched over and he's like Rawr! and like what's going on and so and he even says he's like no 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 what what is going on here what is this place? Is this still Earth? Or Oif? Is that how you'd say it? Oif? Oif? Is this still Oif? How long have I been out? Where's Heather? The microbead. I left a tracker on her. Is she okay? I gotta find her. And he's off. On his way back to New Jersey. 
And from there, we cut to Pine Barrens, uh, New Jersey. And this is where the rules get set down. And I kind of, I read those in the synopsis, but this is where the rules get set down. You know, how do you have such a powerful alien race basically take over the world in a way that, in theory, you can tell a story about survivors? And this, you know, rules like this is basically limitations for the Vespas. There are certain things they cannot do. There are certain things that they, that uh, there are certain weaknesses that they have. And I like that. It's very well done. Another kind of neat moment here is uh, Lily. She's a redhead to begin with. She's wearing red and it looks like she's got like red paint on her face. And it just sort of makes you wonder, it's like, geez, like what must this little girl's life have been like, you know, growing up? And um, I mean, this is just awful. This is this is a terrible way to live. And anyway, so Cyberfrog and Heather are reunited, and that's really the uh, the end of the issue. And it's my understanding that it's actually this section right here, part three. This is actually why the uh, why Blood Honey ended up getting delayed. This is uh, it was like by six months. It was basically the. Uh, the delay of uh, Blood Honey, it was total. It was in total a year, but part of that was due to my understanding is the creation of Part Three, and this is one two. I already lost it. Okay, one two, three four five six seven eight nine extra pages of material. And it's, I mean, first off, there were just production difficulties that are common with any number of, uh, of uh, crowdfunded comics, six months. And that's really not as much as it might seem like, you know, in terms of a delay. And then another six months uh, was, it came down to adding in these extra pages and there were some other production issues. And I think even the bonus materials section, which we haven't talked about, but the section of bonus materials, I think that got added in sort of last minute as well. And so all in all, it, um, you know, I don't know. So whatever. Anyway, um, I guess we can kind of touch upon uh, this, uh, this uh, bonus material stuff, though. Uh, it's... Basically, early Cyberfrog sketches, and from there it just kind of carries forward Cyberfrog's evolution in terms of uh, his design and basically the way that everything works. And it's also, as a kind of a parallel sort of a thing, it, um, it kind of shows Ethan Van Skyver's as, uh, evolution as an artist. Now, something I didn't know, and I don't want to read the captioning for all of these different, all of these different, um, uh, pages and everything, but there was something that, I mean, God, this was news to me. It says, uh, it's captioning says wild storm. And then the little blurb says for a brief moment in 2010, I'd made arrangements with DC comics to publish a new Cyberfrog series which would have been a slightly different take on Blood Honey through their Wildstorm line. This was the promo piece that accompanied it, a much more serious take on Cyberfrog. I like this quite a lot and still refer to it for reference. 
He's like a rubber band that's been flung across the room, but powerful at the same time, and much more frog-like than the original. The Wildstorm series never happened. If memory serves, DC canceled all of the Wildstorm titles and wasn't going to publish more for a while. Everything got folded into the main universe, and Wildstorm was no longer a separate imprint. Probably for the best. And he doesn't come right out and say it, but the only thing I can think of that really makes sense here is the new 52. Basically, the Wildstorm universe famously was folded into the mainstream DC universe with um, the launch of the new 52, for better or for worse. And so on that basis, I can see where there's really no way for a cyberfrog to fit into that equation. So anyway, I just thought that was kind of kind of interesting. So anyway, from there we've got uh, some pinups, two different pinups in fact, uh, by uh, Kyle Ritter. One is Salamandroid, Heather Swain, and Cyberfrog. The other is um, Salamandroid and Cyberfrog just by themselves. And then from there we get sort of a cover gallery. There's cover A, colored, cover A, uh, just the line art. And again, if you want to get an idea of how much Kyle Ritter contributes uh, to this thing with his coloring, look at uh, Cyberfrog Bloodhoney cover A with the coloring, and then Cyberfrog Bloodhoney cover A without the covering, or, or without the coloring. And then same thing with Cyberfrog Bloodhoney cover B with and without the coloring. Um, and then this one, uh, the one that I'm reading, this is cover C, Cyberfrog Blood Honey cover C, the team-up cover, with and without coloring. If you want to know how much Kyle Ritter has contributed to this, this will just about show you. You know, it is, um, you can even see some kind of interesting differences in uh, the art, just little tweaks and changes that, that Ritter made that... It's not massive, but if you're looking for it, some, some of the lines have been changed to better suit the uh, coloring. And again, uh, uh, Cyberfrog Blood Honey 1998, there's uh, the colored version, and then there's the uncolored version. And it's just amazingly well-done colors. I mean, it's a well-done art anyway, but it's amazingly well-done colors. And an amazingly well-done comic. I love this comic. And um, I'm looking forward to see where things go with it in the future. Um, uh, I'm not really sure exactly when uh, Cyberfrog 2 Wrecked Planet is coming out, but uh, definitely am interested uh, to see what happens with these characters, where the story goes, and all that fun stuff. It, uh, it just looks like it's going to be a lot of fun. And I guess that's really the main point of it, you know, that this comic book, it doesn't strive to be anything other than a fun sci-fi slash superhero comic book. And it, it doesn't try to... I mean, look, guys, this comic book, it, look, it's not going to change your life. You're not going to be a different person, a better person, perhaps, for having read this comic. It's just a fun adventure story with fun characters, amazing art, and amazing colors and all that. And it just seeks to entertain. That's all it wants to do. And on that basis, I would call it an unqualified uh, success. And I would love to read more comics like this. So that's for sure. So, yeah. Uh, send me 
send me some feedback about this, guys. Let me know what you think. You know, if you've read this comic or if you just have an opinion about this comic, about certain controversial issues that I'm making a point not to discuss, go ahead and send me an email. Let me know what you're, what you're thinking. Uh, trentusmagnus at gmail.com. That's T-R-E-N-T-U-S-M-A-G-N-U-S. Trentusmagnus at gmail.com. Send me an email and uh, just let me know what's on your mind. What's your, you know, what are your thoughts on Cyberfrog Blood Honey? And uh, just where are you coming from with that? So, anyway. And I, uh, I think that's basically it for, for Cyberfrog. So, now, uh, getting into uh, uh, the future uh, for next week... Um, I've got, uh, honestly, at this point, I think I've got quite a lot of uh, episodes that are in the can, ready to go. The uh, uh, next week's episode, um, I'm going to continue this kind of 90s thing that I've been running with lately. I'm going to be talking about Wizard Magazine number 44, but uh, that's for next week. So I think that's pretty much it for me for this week. So bye, everybody. I will see you next week. I think that's just about the end of that. Trennis Magnus Punches Reality is a proud member of the Two True Freaks Podcast Network. You can find the home for Trennis Magnus Punches Reality at twotruefreaks.com. You can also find this show on Facebook just by searching for Trentus Magnus Punches Reality. There you can interact with your fellow listeners and also see notifications of new episodes when I put them up. My Facebook group is the only official place where you can find everything that has anything to do with this show. The reason for that is because I despise Twitter. Pretty much everything about Twitter sucks. So join the Facebook group today. Speaking of Facebook, you can friend me just by searching for Trentus Magnus, which is spelled T-R-E-N-T-U-S-M-A-G-N-U-S. You can email me and my parole officer at trennismagnus at gmail.com. But remember, all feedback and correspondence emailed to me will be read on mic unless you request otherwise. So, if your email isn't intended for public consumption, don't forget to say so. Otherwise, I'll assume that you want your correspondence to be heard by my dozens, and dozens, of fans across the world. Do you have a suggestion for a topic? feel free to email me, and I might consider thinking about the possibility of potentially discussing whatever you have in mind someday. And that's a promise. Since we're on the subject of feedback, Trennis Magnus Punches Reality can be found on iTunes 
just by searching for Trentus Magnus Punches Reality. Won't you take a moment to rate my show on iTunes? That helps new listeners find the show. And, just in case you don't think that I've given you enough shit to click on just yet, you can sponsor my show simply by going to twotruefreaks.com. There you can find the PayPal button, donate any amount at all, specify that you're sending Magnus some monetary love, and you will be an official sponsor of my show's very next episode, with your message read in the show's opener. It's that easy. And there's no minimum donation. Be a Trennis Magnus show sponsor today. I don't have a Patreon, because if you think that I hate Twitter, boy, just wait till you hear what I think of Patreon. So, if you want to throw some bucks my way, the Two True Freaks PayPal link is the way to do it. The contents of this podcast are fictitious, hypothetical, and probably completely unnecessary. Any similarity to living persons or real-life events is purely coincidental and void were prohibited by law. Some assembly required. Batteries not included. Many will enter. Few will win. The white zone is for passenger loading and unloading only. All models are over the age of 18. Trinus Magnus Punches Reality is a Magnus Media Enterprises Limited production in association with Demonsecor of Milan, Italy. <laughs>